All righty then. Uh, you no doubt are awake and ready. Uh, I am so delighted that Dave and Natalie are with us uh, this weekend. Uh, some of you may have heard Dave when he spoke here a couple of years ago. And one of the things I love is that uh, it's a reminder to me of where we want our junior high and high school kids to end up. And then when I first met David, uh, it was at Newport Harbor High. And David was a wild man. And uh, uh, life was all about having fun and surfing. And, uh, and he met Christ. And then met Natalie in a youth group. Natalie was at St. Margaret's. Is that correct? And then uh, Dave uh, and I were at the baccalaureate together when he was graduating at Newport Harbor High. He was a student body president. And he said, okay, let's just tell them about Jesus. And I said, good idea. And so... Uh, it's neat to see David go on to Wheaton and then uh, UCSB, where they graduated. They have two beautiful kids. Their second, or their, their eldest uh, is a son who just completed his freshman year in college. And the point is that we hope that our kids, growing up in privileged environments like they do, uh, having access to do a lot of fun things that which we love them doing, would ultimately have a large vision for their mission, that they would see that ultimately their calling, whatever they do vocationally, is about serving Christ. And they might find themselves in the most unique and interesting places doing that, in America or far beyond. And to that point, uh, we welcome you, David, and come uh, speak God's word to us and give us an insight into what's happening in your world. And Natalie's coming up too. Awesome. Okay. I told you we were doing it different this service. So um, this is my wife, Natalie, and she has a story that will tie into where I'm going to go. So we just want to encourage you with a miraculous story um, of a woman who we just met in the last few months. Um, you know, you hear, a lot of, you hear a lot of bad things that are going on, but we want to share what God is doing. Um, so one, we have a community, a really great community, um, about 30 to 40 people in the country we live in. And one of the women was in, in a mall. Um, she's Lebanese. She was in a mall shopping. And she looked over and she saw this woman and just kind of, a thought came in her mind, like, I think she has a neck pain. You know, God speaks like this. That's a whole other sermon. But anyway, so she goes up to her and she said, excuse me, do you have a neck pain? And the woman was like, yes. How did you know? And then she looked down and she saw my friend's cross. And she's like, are you a Christian? She said, yes. Yeah. She's like, oh, I, I am too, but I've never met one. So this is so amazing because this is what we've been praying for. We've been praying, Lord, we know there's secret ones out there. Let us find them. And can you imagine? I mean, she took that risk. Our friend took the risk to ask a really uncomfortable question. And yet then she met this woman who had longed to meet a believer. Now, when she was 12 in her country, she met Jesus. Jesus appeared to her and just said, I am God. <laughs> so she believed he was God, but she didn't have a Bible. She didn't know how to follow God or anything. He continued to visit her many times. And she was so crazy. Like she was telling us stories. I'm surprised she wasn't killed in her country. You know, she would say, um, she would, they would all be having their Quran class, right? And she would tell the mullah, why do we always focus on Muhammad, on these other prophets? Why not Jesus? Why don't you tell us about Jesus? I want to hear about Jesus. And so then um, they asked her not to come back to Quran class anymore. So, but I mean, some of the things, I wish I remembered all the things she said, but it, it were actually frightening that she was challenging. Like in the Middle East, she's challenging the mullahs on this in, in, you know, in the mosque. Um, but she has now, being, as being discipled, um, she's gotten a lot of healing prayer. And the other day before I left, I said, um, 
And I'm just assuming she, she knows these things. So I'm like, so, you know, when would you like to get baptized? Or, you know, we want to talk to you about baptism. She's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, my goodness. So then I got to explain it. She's like, oh, the other night I had a dream, and Jesus put water on my head, and he said, you need to go do this. But he didn't tell her what it was, and I'm like, so awesome. So um, I was like, okay, well, this is baptism. We got to read with her in the scriptures. And then meanwhile, she's like, I'm like, what about your husband? Is he, you know, convinced of this? And she's like, yeah, yeah, my husband and my daughter, we all want to get baptized together. So um, this is not a, although you will hear of a lot of movements to Christ, in Kuwait, there's only a handful of Muslims that have become Christians. So to have this happen is a really big deal. So anyway, this is encouragement to get this message kickstarted. We believe women can preach. <laughs> so um, the kingdom coming in the Muslim world. Um, I said this last service, and I'll just reiterate it. You're not going to hear in the media today that God is moving in the Muslim world. All you're going to hear is the bad stuff, or you're going to hear different perspectives on things. So we want to we bring you God's media this morning. We want to bring you stories like this that illustrate that God is actually, his kingdom has always been expanding. And there's been some bad chapters, which I want to start, I, I really wanted to, to start with giving you a perspective. Of course, you know, you realize that our faith started about 2,000 years ago and um, pretty much took over the world. Um, and then Islam came onto the scene about 700 years later and literally wiped out the church in much of the world that that the church was firmly established in. I mean, how many of you know that our faith, at one point in time, one of the great centers of Christianity was North Africa? Tertullian, St. Augustine, um, Clement of Alexandria, of course, that's in Egypt. Now, the church never, never got exterminated entirely from Egypt, but all of North Africa had been Christian. And Christianity spread to North Africa without force. But when Arab armies took over and spread across North Africa, pretty much wiped out the church. And it was Tertullian who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But anyway, um, I, I shared about this guy who you might know the name Temerlane because it was one of the names of the Boston bombers. The older brother's name was Temerlane. He was from, I think, Chechnya, Dagestan, um, Central Asia. But the greatest... Um, genocidal maniac in all of history, I would argue, was this guy. He was the great-grandson of Genghis Khan. Tamerlane was a Turk. Genghis Khan was a Mongol. Tamerlane's wife was actually a Mongol. But anyway, at this time, in, in, in the 13 and the 1400s, he died in 1405, he, this was the extent of his empire. So almost all of Turkey, all the way over into India, up into Central Asia, all of Iran. And um, he basically took over what was also a center of Christianity. Um, the stories of what he did to Christians um, are just unbelievable. Um, he wiped out in his 35-year reign 5% of the world's population. 5% of the world's population in the 1400s, or the 14th century, 13th and 14th century. So, um, 14th and 15th century, I always, anyway, 13th, 1400s. <laughs> 17 million men, women, and children were wiped out. Um, he referred to himself affectionately as the sword of Islam. Um, he was a Muslim. He converted to Islam, and that fit very well with his 
expansionary ideas and how to do it. Um, I won't go into some of the details. You can Google Temerlane and you will read stories of areas that he went into and just would, would just slaughter everybody. So um, anyway, um, we had a pretty bad, um, there's pretty bad um, beginning in terms of when Islam came onto the scene. Um, Twelve centuries, we saw really very little happen in terms of Christians um, coming out of, of, of Muslim background. Once Islam took over, and of course, according to Islam, if you have become a Muslim and you want to leave the religion, the penalty is death. So um, they have a pretty um, um, interesting way of keeping people kind of firmly within the religion, um, the fear of death. And this would have been carried out faithfully for centuries of, of within the Islamic world. So very few things were happening in terms of Muslims giving their lives to Jesus. Um, until the 1800s, um, there was the first two movements from the time that Islam came onto the scene in the 8th century until the 1800s, no movements. And then there were two. And the movement is defined by this um, book that came out last year. I would encourage you guys to get it. It's on Kindle. I downloaded it. It was fascinating. It's called A Wind in the House of Islam by David Garrison. And this guy, we knew stuff was happening, but this guy started to travel the world. He spent something like 10 years researching what was happening from West Africa all the way to Indonesia in terms of he conducted thousands of personal interviews with former Muslims to find out how, what the extent of these moves of God that were happening that we were hearing about, and he documented it in a, in a book. I would, it, would, it, is a great, it is a great book. It's not going to end up on the New York Times bestseller list, but I'm telling you right now, it's the best book that I've read. As somebody who's given my life to seeing Arab Muslims come to Jesus, I haven't read a book this encouraging um, in years. But so the research that I'm citing comes from, from, from this book. Um, anyway, so there were two movements, and the way they define a movement, they, they came up with this number. It wasn't, this is just, okay, a movement is a thousand baptisms or a hundred churches planted. That's how we're going to define a movement. So this is the minimum criteria. Two in the 1800s, 11 in the 20th century, nine of those coming after 1980. So... Very little happening in the first part of the 20th century, but then something began to shift really about the time of the Ayatollah Khomeini coming into power. One of the great moves was amongst the Iranians, also another great move amongst the Algerians in North Africa. Um, and, um, and then from, if you can see the numbers up here, in the first 12 years of this century, there's been 69 of these movements. 69 people movements have begun in the last 12 years. Thir 12, 12 centuries, zero. You know? We're in the fourth quarter, guys. And LeBron's got the hot hand, or I mean, if you're a Stephen Curry fan, maybe you go with him, whatever. Somebody's hitting threes, and we are actually seeing an increase right now in a move of God. And for those of us, when we went to the mission field in the early 90s, you know, kind of the generation that had been there before is like, listen, you're going to give your life and you're going to see a few people get saved. Now we're having whole families coming to us and say, when can we get baptized? It's unprecedented what's happening. And I, we've seen it in our own little sphere, but this 
book gives the overall picture that God is on the move. And as discouraging as things could be as we're looking around this country in, in this day and this age in terms of what's happening, we can be encouraged to know that more is happening in the Muslim world than has ever happened in all of history. And you're never going to hear that on any, from any news media source. But here today in La Jolla, you get to hear what God is doing. And at the end of the day, these are the stories that we are going to recount and we're going to hear for all eternity. We're going to hear these amazing. This book sh shares stories that are like, it's like you can't believe that this is happening right now. The cost of discipleship, the willingness of these people to give their lives to Jesus and risk everything to share this message. You know, I was telling Steve and others, I was referencing how, how Christians today are afraid to even announce on their Facebook wall that they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman because they don't want to be called bigoted and hateful and, and everything else that we're so afraid of. And I'm like, we need to get our cues from people that are giving their lives for the gospel. They're naming the name of Jesus, and that actually has a death sentence on it in many of these places. How dare we? How dare we be afraid of what people think when we consider that people are still giving their lives for this very gospel that we, we call our life. So I'm challenged when I consider the lives of these former Muslims that are giving everything to follow Jesus. Um, so today I want to focus on three M's, um, three factors that God has been using in these days to bring Muslims to Jesus. And the first one of those M's is called media. So with the advent of satellite television, now we had radio for a long time, and that was a means that God was using. But what you are, who you are looking at here, other than me there on the, you know, I guess it's your left, um, you know, Father Dave there. Um, I'm actually an ordained um, Anglican. Um, and... There on my right is the greatest living evangelist in the Muslim world. He's not in the Muslim world anymore. He's been cast out. He's Egyptian. He's a Coptic priest. And he's been preaching the gospel on the satellite television for the last 15 years. He's enemy number one. According to the religion of Islam, there's a $100 million bounty on his head. When I went into his home, it was, it was, I just remember it was a bit nerve-wracking. There's CC cameras around everywhere, and I'm just like, man, is anybody following me? I mean, it was really, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going into a safe house, like a CIA safe house, to meet the, just this humble servant of the Lord who got started when he was a teenager in the 19, um, I guess he was, in, yeah, he said it was in the 50s. Um, I'm just trying to do the math on how old he is because he's 82 or 83 right now. But anyway, when he was a young man, his brother was martyred um, by the Muslim Brotherhood, um, who our commander-in-chief considers to be a legitimate, peaceful Islamic organization. But they killed his brother. They found his brother in a field with a pole stuck through his head because his brother was preaching the gospel in Upper Egypt in the south. And he made a vow as a young man, I will spend the rest of my life preaching the gospel of Jesus and exposing the religion of Islam for what it really is. Anyway, this is, you, you are looking at, I mean, being with him was like, I, did you ever meet Billy Graham? 
Yeah, that's kind of an awesome thing, right? You're like, I am living, I'm like near this guy. For me, this is my Billy Graham. Like meeting him, I would much rather have met this guy. I mean, you know, no, no dishonor to Billy. Um, who's, you know, I've been to crusades and stuff. But anyway, just to give you an idea of what it was like to be around the greatest living evangelist on the planet, who you've never heard of and who will never be referenced on the media. But you want to talk about who's on the A-team in heaven? Want to talk about the dream team in heaven? He's a starting, he's in the starting five, okay? Anyway, let me introduce you. So anyway, so media. This has been a way that the gospel's been penetrating all over. It doesn't matter how poor people are. They've got a satellite television, or they have a smartphone. Everybody. Doesn't matter. Preaching the gospel in houses in Yemen, dirt floors, you know, on top of the little hut, satellite dish. Come on, we've got to have our idols, right? You know? Anyway, so, um, anyway, so media is the first M, all right? And I've introduced you to Father Zachariah. The second M um, sorry, I don't want to read this testimony this time. Anyway, the second M would be miracles. Now, my wife has just illustrated the story of an Iranian woman and a whole family that is being drawn, was drawn to Christ through personal visitations from Jesus. In fact, almost every Muslim that I know has been visited by Jesus personally or an angel. Now, you think that sounds strange, but the Bible's full of it. Okay, the fact that many of us were not visited by Jesus or, or an angel, you know, we'll have to ask that question when we get home. You know, hey, Jesus, that would have been fun. <laughs> Actually, a lot of us probably wouldn't want that because those of you that have friends that talk about experiences like that, you put them in a category of they're Christian but a little bit out there, right? So anyway, maybe we can't handle it. But the point is, is that this is the predominant way, and the, the story that we just heard illustrates what I've heard time and time and time again, is that Muslims come to Jesus, and there's such a challenge ahead of them. There's so much grace given to them. I mean, you think about young Mary, who's about to be impregnated by, you know, basically by God, and she's, you know betrothed to a Jewish male in the first century, and how did God set that whole thing up just so it wouldn't be scandalous and everything else? Two angelic visitations. She had a lot to, you know, I mean, there was, there was a, an important chapter in history was hinging on that whole interaction, we would all agree. I'm talking about, of course, the Virgin Mary and her, you know, first century. So anyway, angelic visitations. Um, Another man that, that I met, um, also an Iranian in Kuwait, I was the first believer that met this guy. We went and met this guy. Um, he was uh, working in, in, in our country, and, you know, he was a laborer from Iran. But he'd been there for so many years, um, and so we were dialoguing with him in Arabic. I speak Arabic, but my, my, my friend who's with me speaks Farsi, and his Farsi wasn't that good, so I was there translating. And so he actually had been listening to satellite television and had heard the gospel. And then an angel visited him and told him that he was clean. Now that, you're like, so what? You're clean. If you are a Muslim or even if you were a religious Jew, being called clean, being declared clean is, 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 is all of it. So all of a sudden, everything Muslims do is they're trying to, to 
get ritually pure and then maintain that so that somehow they can get into heaven. And all of a sudden, an angel comes to him and basically, here's what he heard. He heard you are clean. Translation to you, your sins are forgiven and your salvation is secure in Jesus. You're in for sure. And then you go and tell your friends that. And, and if your friends, they're like, no, you have to work your way in. That's, that's too good to be true. So nobody believed him. We were the first Christians that he met. And he's sitting there telling us about the angel that, um, that walked into his room. I showed him the transfiguration of Jesus, you know, where he was glowing. He says, that's exactly what happened to me. So he's not sure if it was Jesus or an angel. At the end of the day, I don't really care. This guy, Hussein, still going on strong with Jesus, telling everybody about this visitation and growing in what it means to be clean and being in relationship with Jesus. Um, Syrian refugees, this is a woman that I prayed for who was healed. When I started praying, um, this was in Lebanon, when I started praying, there was only her and one other person. And as I was praying, and I'm focused on praying for her, um, and um, all of a sudden a crowd starts gathering, she gets healed, um, and then this man, he comes and he gets healed. And then this man brings his blind daughter. And I've just got Luke 7, up there. Go and report to John what you have just seen and what you've just heard. The blind receive sight. And Jesus opened her eye. And at this point, we had about 70, 80 people around. You know, Jesus loves to get people's attention through doing stuff that only he can do. And all of a sudden, the crowds are kind of gathering around and we're preaching the gospel and handing out literature. And it was just it was just so much fun. These are Syrian refugees that have been displaced because of radical Islam fighting against the Assad regime in Syria. And um, so our one of our team members went back to the same refugee camp two months later. The girl is still seeing still cited, um, and the story continues to circulate. And then um, our team member, Catherine, she prayed for another blind person, another Syrian refugee, and God opened another blind eye um, two months later. I'm just encouraging you that Jesus actually didn't change. He didn't finish, you know, the Bible didn't get, okay, and, and you, know, you know, just the end of the book of Revelation, we shut this thing, and now the miracles shut off. No, actually, Jesus has never changed. You know, at least he, you know, he still was healing blind eyes in January and February and March. Maybe he made a big change in March, April, May, and June. Wait a second. Didn't he say something like, same today, yesterday, and forever? Oh, yeah. Somebody said that. Um, I would have to say, though, that as cool as it is, and I, I pray for a lot of people, and I haven't seen a lot of blind eyes open, even though the word says that the blind receive sight. I want to be a man of the word. If the word says it, I believe it, and that's what I want to contend for. Just because I haven't seen a lot of blindness healed, I've only seen it healed three or four times, I probably prayed for 50. I'm just being honest. But I know that Jesus got blind eyes open, and he commanded us to do what he did. And this is another message about the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And I know that this is the main factor in reaching Muslims. And so I want to do what Jesus did. And I, want to, and I want to be right in there with the second M, which is miracles, doing what Jesus did. And that's the way that we are seeing God move in, the, in Muslims' lives, without exception. Um, but more cool than this was we were in another country. We were in Jordan ministering to Syrian refugees and we were in a house, 
and we were praying for the sick, and people were calling their neighbors, and it was just Syrian after Syrian coming in, and God was healing all sorts of things. They were getting, there was another refugee camp a few miles away that people couldn't get out of. So we were calling people in the camp, praying over the cell phone, and people were getting healed in the refugee camp. I mean, we're just pinch ourselves, guys. We're living in days that are unprecedented. Unprecedented in terms of what God is doing. And um, it's, just, it's just a lot of fun to be on the team right now. You know, it's a winning season. As we saw, I mean, all of history, we were doing really poorly. We're in the fourth quarter, and, you know, we're having a really good run, right? So, but I was in this house, and the mother who'd been healed, and her sister and her relatives and all these things, he, she said, can, can you pray for my son? And I'm like, sure. Is he one of the kids running around? It's like, because we're not seeing a lot of men, because most of the men are either dead or they're fighting in Syria. And he's like, no, my son's here. He's upstairs. Um, but I'd like you to pray for him. And um, I'm like, oh, cool. How old is he? Uh, he's like 22. I'm like, okay. Um, so he didn't come in the room because the men, it's so funny. Here's the four of us Ameri- uh, Western men, actually one, four of us that are praying for the sick with, a, with, one of, with an American, uh, she's actually Canadian, uh, missionary who took us in to pray for all of her friends. And so, the, um, but there's four of us men in a room full of Syrian Muslim women, just not very culturally, you know, Jesus broke some cultural rules every now and then. Anyway, so, um, but we were kind of like, you know, we're from another planet. We're Western men. Anyway, so, but we went into another room where, where this son was. And I find out that her son is an ISIS fighter. Full beard, shrapnel in the leg. Now, at the time, he was with, probably another group called Jabhat al-Nusra, another radical group in Syria, which is now joined with ISIS. Um, But anyway, I just want to give you the picture. So all of a sudden, I'm now sitting next to a guy who probably has killed more people than anybody I've ever met um, and um, could have killed me, Um, although thankfully they, they, they take their weapons away as they come into Jordan. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got legs here and I'm fit so I can run if I need to. I mean, I was... I'm not going to lie to you. This was probably the most frightening experience I've ever had in all of my years in the Middle East. I've been arrested. I've been barred from countries. And this was, without a doubt, the scariest experience I ever had because I'm being asked to pray for a guy who is given over to hatred and fighting and all of this stuff. But he had heard the testimonies of what God was doing in the room. And the Bible says that love never fails. And we were there to love because love gives without expecting anything in return. They know we had no agenda except just to help. So I said, I want to pray for you. He had some physical problems. He had shrapnel on one of his legs, and the Lord touched his back. We prayed for his back. Um, But I said, more important than your physical health, I want to pray that the hatred and the anger that you are carrying, that God is going to come and he's going to take it away. Because I just believe God wants to do that. Because God is love. So I lay hands on this guy, and I just begin, and the Spirit of God just begins to come on this guy, and he's weeping. And just imagine the long beard, the guy you've seen in the video, just, I mean, such a hardened hate, given over to hatred, and just to see God touch him. I walked out of that house today going, I walked out of the house on that day going, there were a lot of people healed today, but I'm never going to forget God landing on an ISIS fighter.
touching his heart. And I thought, we are nuclear guys. Jesus said the kingdom of God is where it's within us. It is here. It's at hand. It's within us. What are we waiting for? We carry, it's like you do not need, we don't need another conference. We don't need another book. If you would believe what the Bible says about who you are, and you would just take the risk of saying, hey, could I just pray for that? I mean, we were at a sports bar last night having dinner with some of our friends up in Costa Mesa, and the Lord just touched and healed our waitress because he's never changed. I want to tell you right now, it works here too, guys. You know, I, was, I have a dentist. It's a funny side story, but it relates. I have a dentist that I found who's this hardcore Christian dentist, and he's learning all about the kingdom, and he kind of comes from a conservative background like me, and he's so fascinated about all this miraculous stuff, and we're sitting there having coffee at Starbucks in Laguna Niguel. This is two days ago. Just wanted you to know Jesus really hasn't changed since March. So 2 p.m., Laguna Niguel, Starbucks. You guys have been to St. Arbucks. You guys worship there as well? <laughs> there are saints today as well. Anyway, so um, I have an addiction to caffeine. I'm not willing to lie about that. It's true. Um, my wife endorses that addiction. Um, it's okay. Although, you know, I, I am on three cups today. So, um, so anyway, this car pulls up and just doesn't even park in the parking spaces that are all there. It just parks right in front of the door and it's a brand new Mercedes. And I'm looking at my dentist guy going, Middle Eastern guy for sure. Because I live in the Middle East, and I just know the drill. It's like, who cares? I mean, I got a new Mercedes. I'm parking wherever I want. Um, and sure enough, I, the guy walks out, and I start speaking to him in Arabic. And he's looking at me weird, and I said, um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you spoke Arabic. He says, no, I speak Farsi, you know, Iranian guy. I said, oh, really? So we start chatting just, just quickly. And um, I said to him, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to trace the call. I'm trying to get something from the Lord. I'm just interacting with him. This is another issue, but N Natalie talked about a word of knowledge. I just want to get something because I'm sitting here having a training time with my Korean dentist who's just read, Is That Really You, God? by Lauren Cunningham and Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. He's a little bit behind on the books thing. I mean, that's like 20 years old now. But anyway, he's all like, whoa, I'm just like, whatever. And then all of a sudden, the guy gets in his car, and he's about to drive away, and I was just going to turn to the dentist and, and tell him, well, I was really trying to get a word for him. And right as I'm saying that to the dentist, I'm like, he's got a back problem. So I'm like, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. I get up. I'll go over to the car, and Muhammad is his name, so you can guess what his faith was. Um, Muhammad does have a back problem. How did you know that? And all of a sudden, I'm praying for him, and the Lord heals this guy right in the parking lot. And you know, I gave him my number. We're going to follow up and stuff. And he drives away. Jesus kissed his back and touched it. And really, I gave expecting nothing in return. I did not pray for him so that I could now cram the gospel down his throat. I prayed for him because it's a loving thing to do. Jesus said, heal the sick. So I'm going to pray for the sick. And if they want to know about what just happened, I'll be glad to tell them. I'll be glad to talk to them about what just happened. That's what happens. So it just made for a very good coffee with my dentist. It was kind of like a real, you know, it's like if you're talking about the miraculous and the kingdom, it's just really nice when Jesus shows up and does something. Anyway, i got to land this plane, I think. Um, not sure where I am. Um, I just would say this. Um, the third M. I said there was media. I said there was miracles. And the third factor that is clearly the biggest catalyst, I would say, right now, or at least equal to the other three, 
Maybe it's, it's like the Trinity. They're co-equal, right? Although there, there is the Father who is the head. So I don't know which of the three is the preeminent one, media miracles or massacres. But right now, you have a trinity of factors that are bringing Muslims to Jesus. And violent Islam is our friend when it comes to the gospel. Now, that sounds paradoxical or contradictory, but right now, there is nothing that is leading more Muslims to Jesus than radical Islam. The Ayatollah Khomeini, the greatest, uh, greatest evangelist ever to the Iranian world. There are, you know when people say, I think, you know, I think that people should bomb Iran and stuff like that, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there is almost a church in every Iranian small town or village right now that has been planted in the last 25 years. I really don't want a bomb to drop on, on my brothers and sisters in Christ. See, again, you're not going to hear this in the media. So I think a little differently about this stuff. People download my podcast from villages in Iran, and I'm thinking, why? How? How is it? I can go, I can look on my podcast, and I can zero in on Google Maps on the house, and I'm looking at that in a village in Iran, and they're listening to my podcast, and I'm thinking, I hope the Israelis don't bomb that village, you know? Because the downloads would stop, I'm assuming, you know. But so we got to think differently, guys. The kingdom causes us to think differently. So the reason I wanted to put these guys up, and I want to I end with this thought. Um, I was going to have my wife come up and end, but I'd rather you end with this thought. These are 24 Coptic Christians that were beheaded because the Quran speaks about a commandment to strike off their necks. Okay, it's a Quranic verse. Again, you're not going to hear that in the media, but I can give you the Arabic. I, I carry the Arabic with me in case anybody ever wants to challenge me. Well, you don't understand the Quran. I'm like, come here. I speak Arabic. Let's, let's go into the verse, right? Strike at their necks. You wonder why this obsession with beheadings. They are trying to be faithful to what the Quran teaches. The verse that I didn't get to last time um, in my last message under the, the massacre point was John 16, verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These guys standing behind them think that they are pleasing God when they kill Christians. They think that they, the Apostle Paul, he thought that he was pleasing Jehovah God when he would kill Christians. Things haven't changed. The reason I want us to think about these guys is because I have a 19-year-old son. And some of these guys are 19-year-old men and their mothers in Egypt watched their sons' heads cut off. ISIS put this on the internet. I did not watch the video. But if my son was there, I would have. These are sons of mothers and fathers, and they gave their lives for Jesus this year. And I want us to be challenged by their example. We are living in a day and an age where Christians in this country are, I'm afraid, you know, it's like we used to joke. It's like, where are you going tonight? <clears throat> Bible study. I wear a cross and I belong to Jesus. And these guys have reminded me that I am proudly identifying myself with the man who gave everything so that we can go to heaven. And these guys are reminding us 
that it's worthy of giving everything to this Jesus. You know, Steve referenced when I got saved in high school, a little bit of a zealot. I came to Christ after a drug overdose. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, Steve was the youth pastor of the church across the street from my high school. Nominal Christianity is kind of the way of, the, of Orange County Christianity. It's like, you know, I mean, you, you don't want to, you know, you know, it's like you got a 95% fun, 5% truth. And if you go with too much more truth, you know, you're going to lose people. I, I think that these guys are onto something. These guys could have gotten out of this predicament. All they had to do was deny Christ. And they didn't. So I want this image to be what, when we live our lives this week, and we think about what is it that following Jesus requires. Let us just remember this. There are more martyrs this year, in this century, than in all of the centuries before. People dying for their faith. We at least can live for ours. I also believe that we are, we are going into days where these verses of Jesus, if they persecuted me, this is John 15, 20, they will persecute you also. You know, I know people that are afraid to say that they believe something because somebody will call them a fanatic. Jesus promises us that if they persecuted him, which they did, they will persecute us. We might be reading different verses in our Bible in the days and weeks and months to come that are maybe weren't all that meaningful when we had it easy. I think that what we're, the days we're going into are going to separate the wheat from the chafe, you know? The real believers in Jesus are going to rise up. Jesus, Jesus was real clear. We go back and it's like, oh, wow, he really did require our lives. And when I see that, I realize people are still giving it. I'm challenged. And that's why if you sensed, maybe last service, I've been a little better this one. It makes me angry when I think about this. And then I think about people I know that are wandering away from Jesus because, well, how dare you tell me I can't date a non-Christian? How dare you tell me I can't get a divorce if, if I'm not happy? So when was this all about us? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, right? Somebody said that. A guy named Paul? It's in the book. Amen.